Uh, my name is Bob Martin, and I have the, the great privilege of uh, being the lead pastor here at St. Paul. And I'm so excited that you're tuning in and that we're together. I want to take a, just a couple of minutes and um, uh, share with you some, some thoughts about prayer. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about prayer. And, and I think you would agree with me that during this time that prayer is so important, isn't it? Uh, but I think it's also important for us to understand uh, what prayer really is and, and look at the model of prayer. So uh, we're going to look in the, the Gospel of John chapter 17. So if you've got a Bible or uh, electronic device, I want you to pull that up on an app or uh, open your Bible to John chapter 17. Today we're going to look specifically um, at verses 1 through 5. So as we get started, I, I just want to uh, kind of reflect for a second. So um, when you think about the Lord's Prayer, uh, what, what prayer comes to mind? Is it the prayer that we learn in Matthew 6? Um, where, we, where we basically learn, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, if, if you think that's the Lord's Prayer, um, today I think I'm going to uh, put a little curveball, a little twist for you to learn something a little bit new. Um, I'm not convinced that that's really the Lord's Prayer. Now, that's a prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray, and especially um, as he was kind of in that transitional mode, and, and they were confused, and they said, well, well, we don't know what to pray for, so how do we pray? And Jesus gave them the model, uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be. So, so we see that as a prayer. But, but here's the twist. Nowhere do we see in Jesus's ministry is he praying that prayer. In fact, it would be kind of um, interesting for Jesus to use the words of what we think is the Lord's Prayer, uh, especially when he says, forgive me of my sins. Jesus can't sin. So, so it's really the disciples' prayer that, that we've learned. It's not the Lord's prayer, it's the disciples' prayer. But I, but I want you to look at John 17 with me today because I think that is where we can find the true Lord's prayer. You know, it's been, it's been said that um, you can learn a lot about a person if you uh, listen to their prayers. If you can kind of get into their head and um, listen to what their prayers are about, you can learn a lot about a person. And sometimes uh, our prayers are not really orchestrated or we're not using them in a way that we should, but we're using them for the wrong reasons. It's like a story of two guys. Now, they, they're out in a, a little boat and they've become stranded. The motor in the boat's uh, kind of conked out. They're just drifting at sea. They've been drifting for a couple of days. You can imagine they're hungry. They don't have any food. They're getting thirsty. Um, they're, they're starting to hallucinate because of the sun. They're getting all scabby from everything. And it's a moment of desperation and, and they know that the end is near. And, and one of the guys in the boat decides, well, I got to do something. So he gets on his knees and he folds his hands and he starts to pray. And he prays like this. He says, Lord God, I have broken all of your commandments. I'm a heavy drinker and I, I run around and, and I do things that I'm not supposed to do. So God, if you will just rescue me today from what's going on. And then all of a sudden his friend says, stop, don't pray anymore. And he looks at him, he says, Jack, you don't have to say that anymore. I hear a boat coming. We're free. So that's a prayer that's kind of misguided, isn't it? And that's not what, what Jesus prays in John 17. So a couple things as you look at John 17, I want you to notice, what does it begin with? It says that with open eyes looking to the heaven and his hands are open, Jesus is looking into the heavens, his eyes are open, and he's, and he's beginning to pray. Now, that's kind of contrary to how you and I pray, isn't it? We're, we're taught that you got to close your eyes, you got to fold your hands, and, and you kind of have to go into this mysterious zone, so to speak. 
But yet Jesus opens up his eyes and he looks into the heavens and it records here in, in John 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, when Jesus prayed this prayer, we don't, we don't know where exactly he was when he prayed this prayer. We don't know what time of day it was or even what day it was. What we do know is that this prayer uh, was prayed out loud because John and the other disciples could hear what Jesus was praying. And it was so powerful and made such an impact on John's life that he remembered every word of this prayer because he wrote it down 60 years after Jesus prayed the prayer. And we find it in John's gospel. So Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. What does he mean by that, the hour has come? Well, he's talking about his death. He's talking about the time has come for me to die. And, and he's praying with great sensitivity. And he's like, God, I'm about to die. And, and, I, and I pray for your presence. And I, and I pray that you send me to my death. I mean, why, why is Jesus praying a prayer when he already knows the end result? He already knows he's going to die. Why is he praying about that? Because Jesus and his relationship with the Father in heaven was one. And he knew that in all things that the Father was a part of it and that the Father was a part of everything that was happening in his life. A great Christian writer, Philip Yancey, he's a little heady sometimes in, in his writings, but I love his writings. I have several of his books. I, I'm sure you do too. He wrote a book that, that was called Prayer Doesn't Make a Difference. And I gotta um, make a confession. Um, I, want, I didn't buy that book because I thought, wow, what a great topic about prayer. I bought it because I was kind of nosy about the tagline. Does it really make a difference? And I thought about that, and, and, and I think that you and I, we, we kind of wrestle with that a little bit, don't we? I mean, let's be honest. It, there's times that, that you have prayed and I've prayed, and we've prayed and we've wondered some things. You know, with billions and billions and billions of people on the earth praying at the same time, God, can you really hear my prayer? I mean, we've prayed prayers and we've said, God, you know, will you, will you listen to me? We've prayed prayers and we've said, God, will you answer my prayers? Or God, are you even real? I mean, let's, let's, let's be real. We've prayed those prayers and we've wondered those things. And Yancey addresses that in his book. And he says, the answer to the question is, yes, God does hear the prayers, but, but God hears them and deals with them, not always in the way in which you or I would like. So you see, what we find out is Yancey says that, that we have to look at Jesus as the model. In John 17, that's the model. And when we look at that, he says, you know, when you and I pray, usually we're trying to negotiate something with God. We're trying to get God to change God's mind or for God to change the circumstance. I mean, like, hey, God, let me win the lottery and I'll give 10% to the church. I mean, that's kind of what I'm talking about here. But what we see is, is that Yancey says that you and I, we normally pray so that God's will will change to our want. But he said, if you look at the life of Jesus and the prayer life of Jesus, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus flipped it. Jesus prayed to be in the will of God. So there's a huge difference that's there. Jesus said uh, in his prayer, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son. Now, if you're not real familiar with who Jesus is, you might look at that and say, well, he's no different than anybody else. He's conceited, he's got an ego, he's wanting all the focus to be on him. But in reality, he's not. Because what he's, what he's really saying here is, God, glorify me so that my life can bring glory to you. And that out of the glory that you've given to me, that my life then glorifies you, then the world can see 
how glorious you are. So do you see the heart of Jesus in the midst of this prayer? If you study um, the great prayers in the scriptures, uh, there's something that they all have in common, whether it's Moses or Paul, whether it's um, Joshua, whether it's Daniel. I mean, it doesn't matter. They all have something in common. And the common piece that they all carry is they use in some way the words, glorify your name, God. Glorify yourself. Show me your glory. Moses in the cave, the enemies have been against him. He's exhausted. He's exasperated. He doesn't want to lead anymore, and he's at his wit's end. God, just show me your glory. And it says that, that God passes his backside on, on the uh, cave so that Moses could see. But Paul, the, the great apostle, um, the apostle Paul, the, the once enemy of Christianity, now its greatest advocate, Paul prays powerful prayers that say, show me your glory. Let me take us to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 23. This is kind of a long prayer, so, so follow with me. Here's Paul talking. He says, I've not stopped giving thanks to you, giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. So he's talking to the people of Ephesus. And he says that I keep asking that God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You see where he's asking God to enlighten the minds of the fellow believers. So that you may know God better, and I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I love when he says that, I, that, the eyes, that your eyes might be enlightened. What he says is, is that you and I, we have never seen all the glory of God. And there's still so much of God's glory yet for us to see. And Paul is praying, I want God you to reveal that so that your people can see your glory. He says, do this in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for, you, for us who believe. Now listen to this. That same power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, far above all power, all dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in also the ages to come. And God placed all things under the feet of Jesus and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Do you see how, how Paul is, is calling upon God's glory to be revealed and how that glory is to be revealed in Jesus Christ? So Paul says that, that prayer focuses on God. Now, Paul doesn't say, and he doesn't pray, God, give me strength, God, give me boldness. Those would be a great thing to pray for, right? I mean, Paul was constantly being badgered and chased after, and, and people wanted to kill him because of his witness for Jesus. He could have prayed for boldness. He could have prayed for witness. He could have prayed for strength and power, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, God, help others see you for who you are. Let them know you. God, let us know you better. Let us know, let us see, let us live into your glory. And Paul captures that in this very powerful prayer. A couple of chapters later, Paul, Paul writes this in, in uh, chapter three of Ephesians. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
He says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how, high, how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge. So we can't even imagine how much God loves us. The love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I mean, Think, think about, it. isn't this powerful that he, he, Paul is praying that you and I would feel the fullness of God in our life, that the glory of God would be made real and that we would see it and that we would live into it. You know, th- this whole understanding of, of prayer um, takes us to a passage in the last book of our scripture, Revelation, Revelation 3.20, and, and it's Jesus speaking, and John records this, and it says, here I am, Jesus speaking, here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. So here, Jesus is standing at this door, so imagine that, it's a metaphor, he's standing at the door, and he's knocking. You know, um, so many people have come to know Christ because someone said, hey, Revelation 3.20, that's a verse that you got to see because Jesus is knocking at the door, he wants in. But you know, that's not what this verse means. It, it's, not, it's not a verse that was written for non-believers. It's not a verse that was written to lure non-believers to become believers of Jesus. Believe it or not, it's a verse written to believers. It's a verse written to the church. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm on the outside. I want in. Let me in, guys. Let me in, I, I want to come in. And then he says, I, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, <clears throat> I will come in and eat with them and they will eat with me. This is really important. In the first century, hospitality and sharing a meal meant more than just breaking bread. What it meant was, it meant developing a relationship. It meant um, seeing a person's life from inside of their home, being included as part of their family. It meant that, that I want to learn about you and I want you to learn about me. It meant that we're going to share something together, very sacred, and it was about building a relationship. Don't you wish that, that that's what it was like today when somebody invited you to lunch, that it wasn't about you know, making a business deal or asking you a favor for something, but, but instead that they invited you to lunch or invited you to their house for dinner because they just wanted to love on you and they wanted you to love on them. But Jesus stands at the door and, and he's knocking and he's saying, I want inside, I want inside of your heart. I want to make you become a, a, a greater believer and follower of who I am. And he stands at the door and he knocks. So, so Christians, what do we pray for? I mean, what, what have you been praying for? I mean, listen, uh, you know, a lot of us have probably been praying for, for a lot of the same things. But the question is, when we look at John 17, the Lord's Prayer, are we praying for the right things? I have a theory, and that theory is that, that many Christians look like non-Christians because we don't see the glory of God in the everyday life. You know, we, we kind of just, uh, as Luke would say, we kind of just go through life uh, um, working and eating and drinking and, you know, da-da-da-da-da, and, and we're in this pattern, and our life doesn't make any difference. We don't see miracles today because we don't expect them. We don't have miracles happen in our lives because we don't see them. And so we who are believers become so much like non-believers because we fail to embrace the glory of God. And Jesus is saying it's time to see the glory of God. Listen, we're, we're in really tough times, right? So this is like over a month, five, six weeks now, under, um, 
under you know, a stay-at-home order. And there's talk about when to open up and all those things. And, 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 but, but, but here's the thing. You know, while we're doing that, that's why we get kind of cranky when we're at home. Listen, I've been cranky. I, look, I'm not going to not tell you the truth. Ask my wife. She'll tell you, I've been Mr. Cranky Pants the last couple of days because I'm tired of being at home. I want to see my friends. I want to be with people. I, I want to go, you know, uh, enjoy a restaurant. Some of you want to enjoy pubs or, or maybe we meet at a pub together or something. You know, some of us are, are getting so cranky because we can't get our hair done and we have that new color or maybe the original color that's coming out. Listen, I've got a theory. When this is over, we're all going to look like a bunch of silver foxes, okay? But, but here's the point, though. The reason why we're cranky during these times, the reason why we get upset is because we're not seeking the glory of God. We're instead saying, you know, God, make my day better. God, give me this. God, give me that. God, I'm tired of this. God, I'm tired of that. Wah, wah, wah. And we're crying and we're doing all those things when really we should be saying, Lord, through all of this, show me your glory. And I bet you, if you stop long enough, and if I stop long enough, and we truly prayed that prayer, show us your glory, we'd be amazed at what God would show us. And, and so many things that we would see. But here in the first verse, we learn about Jesus' relationship, the Son with the Father. And he says that the thing that you need most in your life right now is to see the glory of God. And that's what Jesus begins with. Why does he say that? Because it puts us on the trajectory of the cross. And he says, when we begin to see his life, when we begin to see his death, when we begin to understand we begin to understand the sovereignty of God. Because it's the sovereignty of God that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the sovereignty of God that when those nails were placed into his hands, when that spear went into his side, it's the sovereignty of God that showed through the entire world at that moment and through all history continuous that God is fully in charge. He raised Jesus from the dead. We know that because he, John explains this in verses two to three in Jesus's prayer. Jesus prays, for you granted him, meaning Jesus, the authority over all people that I might give eternal life to those who you have given to me. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, that the one true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus said, glorify me so that I can glorify you, that through my death, God, through my death, that the world would know. Let's go on to, to verse four. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you have given to me. Jesus says to the Father, I, I've done what you've asked me to do. I've accomplished everything. And now the one thing that I wanna know, which leads into verse five, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. You see, this, this kind of goes back to uh, John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. Jesus, Jesus had to give something up. So we know um, from Christology, from the understanding and the study of who Jesus the Christ is, fully divine, fully human. But we know that in that moment of, of that transition on the cross, that, that Jesus had to give up more glory so that he could actually take on the sins of the world. Because God can't sin. God, God is nowhere near sin. So in order for Jesus to take on our sin, he had to empty himself. And that's what Paul tells us in Philippians 2.5. He says, in, in relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used 
for his own advantage. So what he says here is, is that humility is the key. And he goes on to say, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Jesus emptied himself. He began to empty himself of, of the powers and the duties of deity. He began to empty himself, and he humbled himself to come into the womb of a 13-year-old girl and to be raised by very young parents. That's what the Christmas story is. And he came into the world. But, but here's the thing that, that, that's really important, and, and it's something that we really need to see. Let me take you to the cross for a second. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and you'll notice that everywhere in Scripture, when Jesus reaches out to God in heaven, he calls him Father, right? Father this, Father that, Father forgive them for that, not what do you. But one point in time on the cross, he says these words, my God, my God, all right? Now, some will say that was a cry to, to bring into prophecy Psalm 22, but he says, my God, my God. He doesn't say Father, he says, my God, my God. And it's at that moment that many theologians believe that Jesus had totally emptied himself of deity and was fully human and the sins of the world came upon him and therefore he died. He was totally stripped from Father in heaven and he became the sacrifice for you and me. And then after that we see he was restored and he was raised from the dead. How do we know that? In 1724, Jesus says, Father, I want those who, who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Jesus is saying, I want to empty all of my glory and I want to give glory to your people. I'm going to give glory to you, Father, and I'm going to give glory to your people. And did you know that, that you and I have glory in us? We have glory because Christ has given us a portion of his glory. And he hasn't given it to us just, just so that we'll say, hey, look, I have this, but we are to then use that glory to give that glory to others, that others may come to know. So when Jesus manifests his glory in us and we then transmit that glory to others, we see God in heaven glorified. In, in, on the evening of April 25th of 1958, a, a Korean uh, exchange student, was in Philadelphia going to school. And, and while he was there, uh, it was late at night and he had to get something in the mail. So he walked down some pretty dark streets to get to a post office. He went inside, uh, dropped it in the overnight box, turned around, and he was immediately surrounded by about five other young men. And these were young men that, that basically didn't like the fact that he was different. He was Korean. And so they began to, to beat him. They began to kick him. They began to punch him. They threw him on the ground. And they began to, to just be violent upon him profusely to the point that this young boy died. The, uh, the police in, in, in Philadelphia, they were investigating the case. It got into the papers. The people of Philadelphia just were enraged and they were calling for justice to be done. And, and the district attorney said, I'm gonna make sure that I trump up these charges so that they're not charged as minors, but that they are charged as adults because they deserve the death penalty. Now listen, something amazingly happened here. Something amazing happened. I want to read to you what happened because a letter arrives to the district attorney's office from the family signed by 20 relatives, the parents, siblings, and relatives of this young Korean boy that was killed. And here's what the letter said. Our family has met together 
And we've decided to petition that the most generous treatment possible within the laws of your government be given to those who have committed this capital action. In order to give evidence of our sincere hope contained in this petition, we've decided to save money to start a fund to be used for the religious, educational, vocational, and social guidance of the boys when they are released. We have dared to express our hope with one spirit received from the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for all our sins. How could they do that? I mean, think about it. You're a Christian, I'm a Christian. How, how could we allow that to happen? I mean, would you? But they did. And they said, in true John 17 fashion, that the glory of Jesus had been given to them, and they were retransmitting that glory to others through forgiveness. You see, this is what makes this prayer powerful. This is what makes it important for you and me to understand what Jesus prayed in the true Lord's Prayer. I'm excited about the next two weeks as we journey to see what else Jesus has to say. But let me just say this. His glory has been given to you. Take his glory into the world to love and to serve him through all things. Amen.